Welcome to This Academic Life, Episode 6. Hi, I am Kim Michelle Lewis, Associate Dean of Research and Professor of Physics. Hi, I'm Pani Anuel. I'm an Assistant Professor in the Department of Mechanical Engineering. Hi, I'm Lucy Zhang. I'm a Professor in Mechanical Engineering. Well, welcome everyone. Thank you for spending the time with us. And today we have a special guest. Uh, she is my niece and she's in high school. And I think I'll give the floor to her and have her kind of briefly introduce herself a little bit. Hi, my name is Angela Chen. Um, I'm a freshman at Niskiuna High School, which is located in upstate New York. Well, welcome, Angela. So the reason we wanted to do this episode is because as professors, we are so in tune with our own little world, but we don't really know what high schoolers want or what do they want to know about college, about what professors do. So we thought today that we'll have her ask us some questions that we can answer that can hopefully resonate with some of other listeners that we have. And so perhaps, I know Angela probably have some questions for us. Maybe we'll start with you. And then we also have some questions for you after we're done. Okay, sounds good. Um, the first question is, how did you guys find your passion for science and being in the STEM field? First of all, Angela, thank you so much for joining this episode. Well, to answer your question, Actually, I knew from childhood that I always wanted to get PhD in some sort of engineering because of my family, they were all in engineering fields. But I didn't know that I want to become a faculty till I was a PhD student. And even by then, I vaguely know about what faculties and professors they do till I become a faculty. I thought that it's an easy job. You just go teach and you do research. And I thought, well, I love teaching and research. So that's the best thing that I can do. And let's become a professor. But I did not know the details of what faculties they do. I never even had any conversations with any of my professors asking about their day-to-day life and what they were doing. So from the very outside, I know that I was passionate about getting that job, but I didn't know what I was getting myself into. So Angela probably knows about me a little bit more. I don't think I planned my career either. This is sort of just kind of follow through every step and then see what goes on next. STEM in general is because I'm not really good at anything else. So, <laughs> so but I was good um, in math and physics. So I figured I would become an engineer. And honestly, I didn't know what kind of engineer I wanted to be until, until I probably sophomore year or third year in college. So, and then just kind of went from there. <laughs> so Angela, I did not know what I wanted to do. I had a high school physics teacher that was really awesome. And she was probably the first black scientist I ever met. She graduated from a historically black college and it was also in New Orleans. And she was the only teacher I think in my high school that actually had a graduate degree. She had a master's degree in physics. Knowing that she could do it also made me feel like you know, I can be a teacher and teach in high school and teach in college and also get a master's degree. 
And it turned out I ended up getting a PhD in, in physics. So I think she was the beginning of what I would say the passion for becoming a professor. So the next question is, what do college professors do? I'll try to answer that question. Um, as I mentioned, I had no clue what a college professor do till I became one. And most professors, well, obviously they are supposed to teach classes, both undergraduate and graduate level classes. Also, they are responsible for doing research and research in their field of expertise. And another important responsibility of the faculty is doing some service. And the service is a way to get back to the broader communities and also just close the loop. Because when we are students, there are a lot of communities that they are providing service to us. Now we are at the position that we can get back to them and provide these opportunities and services for undergraduate, graduate students, also postdocs, as well as other colleagues. So these are the three categories that most faculty, they are involved with research, teaching, and service. The next question is, uh, what is like your daily life? Because I know you guys don't exactly have the typical nine to five job. That's right. We work a lot more than nine to five. <laughs> I think our typical day is very much dictated by our teaching schedule because as Panya said earlier, we do teaching and then we do research and service. So teaching schedule, we can't really change because students are obviously there. And so everything else we schedule around it. My day, for example, I do a lot of meetings, unfortunately, especially during COVID. So these meetings, I will be meeting with my graduate students in my lab and meeting with the collaborators that we do research with. So a lot of the time in my day, I, I do a lot of meetings and just to making sure that my lab is, uh, keeps on running and we're producing, we're writing papers or we're writing grants. And then the remaining times, for me at least, uh, by the time this is all done, it's already you know five or six o'clock. And I plan my teaching at night. So this is way more than just a nine to five job. And I think we're definitely working more than, I want to say, 12 hours a day. Uh, you know, if you look at my calendar, it's pretty much full uh, every day. It's just so many things that's already taken place. So yeah, and we do have flexibility in arranging our own time besides the teaching schedule. So that's a huge plus. And I think that's one of the flexibilities that we get that a lot of other jobs don't get. I think it's important that we all have some type of focus time and everybody has a different, depending on how their daily schedule, that focus time is really important for all of us. I know that I work very efficiently early afternoon and also at night after nine o'clock. So that's just because of my schedule, I'm very efficient during that time. And all the other times, oftentimes I, I deal with emails and stuff because they don't really take a lot of focus. So I do all of those correspondence during other times. Also for me, one thing that it keeps me on the schedule is I'm the queen of making to-do lists. Like I have all these apps and I have all these to-do lists. And my husband, he always jokes, even when I want to go shopping, he says that 
do you have your app with you? Do you have, you know, your list, everything? Because I just make lists for everything. So I have to have these, this list of the things and stay organized. Otherwise it's gonna be a big mess. So I really liked how you guys build your schedule around your needs so that you make sure that you have your own self-care time and you don't get burnt out. I think that's really cool. Uh, the next question is, what does it take to become a college professor? Here's what I would say. Number one, you need to be able to follow instructions. When the teacher asks you to complete a report with a title page, images, and references, you have to say to yourself, no problem, I can do that. Then you follow those instructions exactly. Following instructions is one of the main things we do as professors. There are so many guidelines and rules that we must follow for our course curriculum and for our duties and responsibilities as a professor. Number two, you have to know how to ask good questions. So if your teacher says something, you should raise your hand and ask a question. Just be inquisitive, right? That's, that's the point. Number three, read a lot of books about whatever it is you like to learn about. So it doesn't have to be about STEM or science or math. If you like sci-fi books, read it. And the reason why I say that is because one of the things we have to do as a professor is absorb a lot of information, right? And we have to be able to do it in a short amount of time. And so depending on the books you read, it also builds imagination. So one of the things that we have to do as professors, we have to come up with very creative ways to solve problems. So mechanical engineering, physics, all of these things take up a lot of brain power. And so you have to be able to think creatively and think outside of the box as they would say. So that's one thing I would say. Number four, I think you have to be resilient. So things are gonna happen and you just have to keep going. Your homework might get turned in late and it was out of your control but you can't let that get you down. You just have to keep moving forward. So that's one of the things that professors do all the time. We get rejected a lot, whether it's by our peers, our colleagues, or our students, but we still have to wake up and we still have to put on our shoes and we still have to get in front of those students and deliver that lecture. Number five, you don't need to be the smartest person in your class. You just need to have excellent work ethics. Think about what Panya stated earlier. She says she makes to-do lists and use apps to organize and manage her day. Having great work ethics puts you in a great position to become a professor. I love that Kim mentioned that you don't need to be the smartest to become the professor. Anybody that they know what they want and how they want to execute it, they can be a good professors and just have you know passion for teaching and research. Yeah, I agree with what you guys said. I feel like at school, sometimes people just tell me that I'm smart, but I tell them that it's because I work hard and I study like a lot. So uh, the next question is, how many years were you guys in school? Yeah, this is always a fun question because, so I thought about it. And so you do four years of college, right? And then five years, in graduate school, right, to, to get your PhD or get your, ex, you know, whatever the terminal degree is in your field. So after four years, think about it this way, Angela, you're in the 16th grade. And then if you go for your PhD, you're in the 21st grade. <laughs> right? 
So that's literally about nine years after high school. So nine additional years after high school. And, you know, it sounds like a lot, but one thing I'll have to tell you, I remember when my, my first thing I wanted to do was become a medical doctor. And people kept saying, oh, you're going to be in school a long time. You're going to owe so much money and you're just going to be in school forever. And guess what? I still was in school forever for the same amount of time. So you just have to think about it in terms of your passion. Also, things happen in between high school and the 21st grade. You develop new friends. I met your Aunt Lucy. I'm now friends with Panya. Things happen. So it's not like you're just sitting in class forever and ever and ever. Things happen because you start to have more flexibility in your schedule. Because in high school, things are very rigid. You go from this class to this class to this class. But in college, you may have a three-hour gap between your classes. So life is going to happen. I know you didn't mention this, but if 21st grade seemed like a long time and it's discouraging, don't think about it that way. Think about all of the new experiences you're going to have when you go to college and when you go to grad school. Because one thing is people ask all the time, do you regret that you did it because you stayed in school so long, et cetera? And no, I don't. Because I can't imagine what my life would have been like if I hadn't been exposed to so many cultures and so many different types of friends. So I think it's definitely worth it. Speaking of regrets, I don't think I've ever met a single person who had a PhD and regretted it. No, nobody, not a single person. I did hear the other way around who've decided to go to a job after college and then 10, 20 years later, they said, oh, I regret I didn't take that opportunity to continue with my education. So I think you will never meet anybody who would regret getting more education. And then besides graduate school, it's not just about taking classes. So you do a lot of research and a lot of creativity will come into play. So it's a totally different world in terms of education. Yeah, I really like that new like perspective that you gave because I feel like it's a lot more encouraging than just hearing, oh, you have to go to school for this amount of time and it's not really that worth it in your head. That was all my questions. Okay, Angela. Well, thank you. Those are great questions. I hope we answered them, at least in some level of satisfactory. And I'm hoping our listeners who are perhaps also in high school can also benefit from our own stories and our, our own experiences. So now it's our turn. We're going to ask you some questions, okay? I will go first. My first question to you, Angela, is... What is your image of a science and engineering professor in your head without looking at all of us? Um, I just see someone who just spends a lot of their time and energy on their job just because I know a little bit about what you guys do from listening to your past podcast episodes. And it just seems like you guys are such hard workers, and I really admire that. And I also just see you guys with like a really tight schedule and it just seems very tiring especially also seeing Aunt Lucy just working so hard even when I come over oh sorry Angela that's not the image I wanted to give to younger kids 
<laughs> I will do better. <laughs> Angela, come on. What about all those times I was over by Aunt Lucy house and we were taking pictures and we was playing with Legos and we was watching crazy movies and we was eating popcorns and we was jumping on a trampoline. What about those times? Angela, right. have you ever, okay, so I, I, I'm really disappointed in this answer and this feedback we're getting. Angela, when the last time you saw me, was I working? No, you were eating tortilla chips. Exactly. Also, the last time I saw you, Aunt Lucy was crying because you were leaving. <laughs> yes, I remember that too. <laughs> we have deep and connections. We have very deep connections. <laughs> And Kim and I, we kind of grew up together. You can think of it that way, right? I mean, we joined this academic workforce together, you know, new environment together. So there are many things that connect us in that way. We kind of just similar experience. And then we just kind of, we're always bouncing ideas off each other whether it's related to teaching or just life in general, I think that's really, for me, uh, you know, honestly, I never thought I would have more friends after school was over. I just thought, you know, during school, that's when you meet most of the people, meet most of your friends. But it's actually not true. You can still have new friends once you join a workforce. That's actually, I did not expect that. But, you know things happen and it's all good. <laughs> so maybe I'll ask you the second question. So do you have any idea how many students in your classrooms they are interested in STEM education? I would say about 20 to 30 percent of people and I think a lot of it is because the school district I go to a lot of the parents are really smart people. They all work at GE and Global Foundries. So they're already in this science and tech field. So I feel like that has kind of influenced a lot of the kids' interests. So I would say about 20 to 30%. For me, as I mentioned, I was just influenced by my family, my dad, my uncles, that they, you know, they are all in engineering field. So that makes sense. Thank you. So Angela, I wanted to know, what do you want to be when you grow up? I honestly have no idea. Okay. I mean, I'm in my first year of high school and I'm kind of seeing what I'm good at and what I'm bad at. Mm -hmm. And I remember in middle school, I was just good at everything. But I feel like this year I'm kind of starting to see, oh, I'm terrible in history and English and I'm better in math and science. So I feel like I want to go to that sort of direction, mm -hmm. but I'm not entirely sure what I want to do. Mm -hmm. But didn't you win some sort of uh, writing awards last year for writing what you, what do you think America was or something? I remember you got an award. I remember seeing that picture. You're great oh, at that writing. Was a part, that was a participation thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I think, you, you know, I had always wondered, many of us, perhaps particularly women, who turned out to be a scientist and engineers are very much influenced by the people around them. Say, for example, you mentioned that a lot of your friends who are interested in STEM fields in general, that's because of their parents, right? Or the family that they know. And I'm the same, 
right? Grandpa is an engineer and <laughs> he was a professor. So it's very easy entry point for people like that. So I think the kids that are not, they, they don't have that kind of environment growing up. Those are the people that as a professor, we need to kind of build up that pipeline as well, right? That, that part is missing. I don't think we had improved much over the years. Yeah, I agree because neither one of my parents, Angela, are in STEM. And so I didn't have that in-house pipeline, but I chose it because I knew I wanted to go to college and I knew my parents couldn't afford to pay for it out of pocket. And people were saying, if you go into science and engineering, they will pay for you to get your degree. And I was like, sounds like a great idea. <laughs> and actually, you know, I was very good at English. I won poetry contests in high school. I got a scholarship when I went to Dillard. And I think it was like $1,000 for a poetry contest that I entered that helped do those things. So I was very much a humanities, social science person, but I didn't pursue it because I knew that I needed to pay for school. And, and so I had to choose something where I would get a scholarship and it had to be merit-based. And so at the time, merit-based scholarships were on, you know, your grades. And it just so happened that a lot of the scholarships were for people going into science and engineering. So I agree with Lucy, we need to build up that pipeline. And I thought about this pipeline a lot because I think, as you said, when you see us with tight schedules and we have so many things to do, and I think somehow we have to change that narrative and we have to talk about all of the places we visited. Like I've been to Japan and there's so many experiences that professor have that we need to glorify. Yeah, I, I, I think, uh, you know, I totally echo and Kim's point that uh, we need to change the narrative. I so enjoy all the trips I had taken. I mean, Kim knows how many trips <laughs> <laughs> I've taken all these years. I mean, they're work-related and I go to conferences and I go to, there were a few years that some of these ASME conferences were all at Disney World and it was just a destination. So I have to say those people envy, I mean, those really, those trips and experiences I would have never had if I worked in an industrial job. And I get to meet people. And honestly, all those trips and all those conferences, when I go there, it's a retreat for me. You know, it's getting me out of the house and getting me away from my daily routine and get me social. And I meet people. It's just very rewarding. I enjoy it. I can't wait for the pandemic to be over so I can do that again. Thank you, Angela, for joining us today. And that's all the questions that we have for now. I'm sure you're going to keep us updated on your high school adventures. And for the audience who listened today, thank you for joining us. We hope you benefited from this conversation and understand a little bit more on what we do as professors. And if you have any questions, please send us the questions through our email and we love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. Find us at thisacademiclife.org or follow us on Facebook.
You can listen to our latest episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or Google Podcasts. Please rate us. We welcome any feedback or suggestions for future episodes. Join us next time for the good, the bad, and the ugly of this academic life.